Hello there. Welcome to MMA Fight Club. I'm your host, Manny Galarza. Today we're talking about PFL Challenger Series week number two. It's going to be a female-only card in the featherweight division. We'll have four total bouts in the card, just like we had for week number one. For those that are new to the PFL Challenger Series, it's a lot like Dana White Contender Series. And if you don't know what that is, it's in essence a quasi-reality show where fighters are vying for a spot to get a contract. And uh, last week, there was one contract available, so we had eight total fighters out there. We're going to actually do a recap in a second of how we did in that card, and it was um, it was a rough one for us. We're going to do a whole review of our tip sheet. Anyway, back to this card. So for week number two, we've got four total bouts to talk about some fairly inexperienced fighters. So a lot of variants should be expected, as we also saw in week number one with two of the big underdogs winning. Anyway, with that said, we'll go over each fight one fight at a time, give you the betting implications, the fighters we like, why we like them, some background information on each fighter, and just talk our way through this thing together. So here we go. Let's jump into it. Okay, now for a recap of PFL Challenger Series week number one. And it was a proverbial bloodbath for us. We usually don't fall this far off the winning path, but uh, we fell and we fell hard. Uh, a few really bad last minute reads or changes that affected the card ended up throwing us off pretty bad <laughs> and usually when you see someone coming in as a late replacement you tend to want to fade those type of fighters in this situation here we had some things unfold in a very unique manner uh, even the final selection of who got the contract at the end which we'll cover that uh, real quickly here at the end of this recap but this recap is more to go over the specific bet tip sheet so if you're a subscriber to our newsletter this would be a replacement for us giving you the results for our bet tip sheet in a written format and that's more based also on the feedback from you guys in a newsletter most of the people who subscribe don't necessarily need the tip sheet results written to you guys you guys have them you know you know how we did or how we didn't do but this format of giving it to you guys in a video format allows you still to kind of go over this with us and also checks and balances to make sure we're not bullshitting you guys and giving you guys one thing on monday and then something else on sunday but yeah bloodbath let's first start off with the first fight in the car which was kenley st louis up against nick ally last minute replacement we're talking 24 hours type of notice where kenley steps in he's the corner person initially for thad gene that's where he came to orlando planning to do he ends up getting a catchweight bout with nick ally and opens at like a minus 300 favorite or somewhere in that range or maybe minus 250 and i'm just like it never made sense to me. Why is this guy a favorite? Last minute replacement, has a history of cardio issues. And even though I didn't like Nick Ally in the initial matchup with his with his initial opponent that dropped out, because Nick Ally was supposed to fight against Mustafa Neda, the gentleman from Saudi Arabia, he drops out. In comes in St. Louis. I thought Nick Ally was going to come up short against Mustafa. But once the late replacement came in, I thought... <clears throat> Excuse me, I thought Nick Ally would be worth a potential dog play. And so we'll talk about exactly how we played him. And it uh, ended up not really being a big deal. We had some small investment there. But I thought it was a dog play that could be considered. How the fight unfolds, complete surprise to everyone. It ends up going to round two. Uh, Kenley does a very good job of managing his cardio. That was a surprise to everyone. Definitely surprised me. And in the process of doing that, goes ahead and finds himself a submission in round number two and and we would then go on the rest of the night to see that it would be the only submission 
I'm sorry, or only finish on the entire card. And that is going to be something we're going to harken back around to. It's going to be a very relevant point I want to talk about. So for Kenley, it's like we came here on a Friday or a Thursday, whatever, um, planning to just corner one of my buddies. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm you know, a finalist here for a possible contract in the PFL. So round two submission there, rear naked choke. As the rear naked choke was about to get sunk in, I guess about to, it appeared that Nick was prepared to tap out quite quickly. Anyway, yeah, that's how that fight goes. We have reached out to Nick Ally. We have communicated with him and hoping to get him on a show in the near future. You know, after you lose a fight like that, we don't want to pressure fighters to try to get on and talk about it because quite frankly, it's how can I compare it? It'd be like if you got fired from your job, right? I mean, he didn't get fired from his job, but you get the point. Something bad happens to you. You don't want to get on a show and talk about these things. So give him space and some time, but we'd love to have him on in the near future. That was that fight uh, from a betting perspective. Again, we'll talk about that after we go over the results of each fight, and then we'll talk about our betting results. So next fight was Joseph Whitner versus Zach Jasola. This one was very costly for us because we had Joseph Whitner in three or four different parlays. He was a piece that we had a lot of confidence in. He was the one. Of, he was two. We had two parlay pieces that we were very strong about on this card. He was one of those two. And at minus three ninety range, I still felt comfortable, really believing in his wrestling, thinking that uh, again the advantage was on his side because Zach Jusola was a late replacement. So again, we had two guys who were replacements in the first two fights on this card, and both those guys won. <laughs> Zach Jusola comes in here and puts on a. Uh, excellent performance, looks very good, is able to outgrapple Joseph Whitner, who, quite frankly, looked very fatigued. Uh, I saw some people commenting on, we had a live stream going for this fight, and people were commenting about, yeah, you know, this this guy looks like he's gassing out or has a history of gassing out. I wasn't really aware of that. It did happen. That's how it unfolded. And so Joseph Whitner ends up dropping the ball big time here, losing the fight by decision, and Zach Jasola Great job, you know, uh, coming in here very much last minute, just like uh, St. Louis getting the win. But by decision, uh, not a finish, so not quite as impressive. But nonetheless, as a big underdog, uh, you know, a, a very impressive showing. Next fight, Thad Jean versus Eric Alkeen. We did a whole breakdown of this fight. I talked highly of Eric Alkeen. He's fought some good fights. So many people had Thad Jean into the distance. Let me just say this. There was a moment in round, was it round two? My mind might be skipping me there. There was a, it was a moment, moment at the end of one of the two rounds where he had gotten like on top of Alkeen because he knocked Alkeen down, like clearly knocked him down and was in a you know point where a, a finish was, was potentially imminent. Um, but then he backs away because that, that is, he doesn't necessarily have the tools to engage uh, creativity on the ground just yet. It's just not part of his arsenal. He's kind of very basic. He'll try a few shots. If it's not working for him, then he'll just back away. He backs away. Eric Alkeen goes on the, to finish the entire fight, basically, right, and not get finished. So that ends up screwing some betters, you know, bet slips. And I think we may have had a play on that, so it does hurt us too. But that gets the win, and that, I think, was more satisfying for most betters who had him in a parlay. And at minus 365, it was probably one of the more popular parlay pieces on this card. And then the last fight, <clears throat> excuse me, Lucas Barbosa, to win at minus 225 over Itsu Ubaladze. And boy, oh boy, we did not see this coming. I don't think many people saw this coming. I thought Lucas Barboza was the type of fighter that the PFL would really want to have because of his 
very decorated record you know all these you know submission victories the grappling he's got a following he's got a sort of fan base already well-respected mixed martial artist or let me say well-respected martial artist in jiu-jitsu and we saw the prototypical problem of you have a person who's very good at one craft and this is mixed martial arts he was very ineffective on the feet got tagged up just enough not hurt but just tagged up just enough that he was losing the fight on the feet the score was clearly going towards Itsu, who looked sharper, who didn't have any cardio issues. Very impressive with him from that standpoint. Itsu was a pretty big underdog here, almost a plus 200 underdog. He pulls off the win, gets the win by decision for Lucas Barboza. He never really got the fight to the ground at any point, never had any serious submission attempts. Itsu did a good job defending them early, and then Lucas started to fatigue. It didn't look very good, and quite frankly, took my money because <laughs> i thought here that was also the narrative thing i'm like he's gonna you know he'll he'll eventually wear down eat so we're gonna finish here submission whatever he's the guy they want him you see the promotional stuff you see the videos on him and you're thinking he's the guy right doesn't work out that way and um the fight not going to decision was minus 600 by the way in this fight and we didn't play that but we just noted that on our excel sheet uh, we thought to ourselves, the fight possibly not going to decision would be a high likelihood. And it was at minus 600, but it didn't happen. Um, so other props that we liked here, we liked the submission prop for Barbosa at minus 175. That didn't happen. The KO prop for Itso plus 350 didn't happen. The fight going to decision, I think, surprised a lot of people. And then more importantly, Itso by decision. If you played that prop, <laughs> you should buy some more lottery tickets. The Thad Jean fight, the over one and a half was minus 140. We did like that spot, um, and that spot actually ends up hitting. The fight not going to the distance was minus 170, but the fight ends up going to the full distance. Inside the distance was minus 110 for Thad Jean. So right there, a lot of people had action on that spot, and I think they it wasn't that they were overhyping Thad. It's not Thad. He's a very good fighter, and there was a close moment there. <clears throat> but Eric is a decent enough fighter that he probably lasts, you know, the full distance with that gene more times than not. And then the other few props to mention were Zach Jasola is in the, inside the distance at plus 500. I thought maybe Joseph Winter makes a mistake and gets cracked, trying to shoot him for a wrestling takedown. No, Zach wins by decision. Didn't really see that at all coming. Um, and then decision win for Nick Ally would have been plus 1100. The fight not going to decision with uh, uh, St. Louis and Ally was minus 350. We liked that spot a lot. It was one of our one of our two like favorite parlay pieces for the entire card okay now as for our bet tip sheet and i'm going to go over each bet one bet at a time it was uh it was tough it was tough <laughs> you know you take your your lumps and your bruises one of the things that disrupted our i think flow for this particular card and the reason why our our bet tip sheet wasn't as fulfilling as we usually like to see around here, is it got tough to find lines. We couldn't get action on FanDuel. Excuses, excuses, I know. But the reality was it was tough to find lines. It was tough to find books where we can actually place these bets because we don't just give you a tip sheet. We actually play this tip sheet. So we live and die by it. Just feel the stress in my voice, right? I mean, losing 700 bucks and 700 bucks is what it is. And that's that's where we kind of fell after this card so here's the damage in detail our individual money line plays we had lucas barboza at minus 265 for three units we got him 
fairly earlier in the week. I thought we were in a good space. <laughs> I thought he, again, I had a narrative thing with him. So we put up 300 bucks to win 1.13 units. And I think right around midway point of round one, I was like, wow, this Itso guy better fatigue because this is not looking good. It is not looking good here. Houston, we have a problem. So that was a loss there. And then Thad Gene, we, you know, it's funny. Looking back at Thad Gene, I should have been more confident in him to win. We had two units on him at minus 365. So that's two units to win 0.54 units. Not a great return. And looking back, probably not even worth the bet because the fight wasn't close, but it wasn't dominant. Yeah, you can look at that a lot of different ways. But anyway, we end up winning 0.54 units. Those were the only two individual plays we had for this card. I mean, there's only four fights in the card. Anyway, we ended up having five total units on the line there. And we end up with the resulting negative 2.46 units. So negative 2.46 units total is what we end up with after our individual money line plays. As for our parlays, we had our parlays broken up into two different categories. We had our parlays broken up into a normal one and then the one that was part of our upside down parlay, which we'll talk about in a second. So a three-leg parlay, we had Barbosa, Gene, and Whitner. Those three combined gave you plus 127 odds, 1.5 units to win 1.9 units. Of course, that did not go through because Whitner did not win and he did Barbosa. Next parlay. Barbosa fight no distance at minus 450. Wild, right? That ended up being closing at like minus 600. We got it earlier at minus 450. That didn't happen. Uh, Kenley fight no distance at minus 350. That ends up being correct. Winner to win, fail. The Gene fight over one and a half rounds. That ends up happening. That gave us plus 226 odds for that one right there. It's a shame because when you look back at, at that one right there, you know, Whitner, again, he, he he busted up all our parlays, but then the fight knock with the distance, Barbosa, it's just, it's amazing that fight ends up playing out the way it does, right? So for our three-leg parlay there and our other four or five-leg parlay, we end up going down another 2.5 units there, negative 2.5 units for our normal parlays. For the prop bets, we had seven prop bets. No bueno. <laughs> no bueno. So one of the prop bets we have here was 1.5 units to win 0.88 on Barbosa into the distance at minus 170 that ends up closing around minus 180 i mean think about that the market was so sure he wins this fight and so sure he probably wins by a, a submission theoretically right so the, inside the distance and we were on that train so 1.5 minutes out the window right there bubalatse wins by tko at plus 400 so what was our thinking well we're thinking you know if he ends up catching Barbosa, that's going to be the path, right? He's not going to outlast Barbosa. He's not going to have better cardio, right, than a guy who's a grappling world champion type of thing, right? And so 0.25 units out the window. Gene versus Alkeen, the fight doesn't go the distance, was minus 170. We put 0.75 units behind that. I mentioned that bet earlier. St. Louis versus Ally, the fight doesn't go the distance. We had 3.5 units on that at minus 350 to return with one unit. Obviously, a, a lot invested in that spot. It ends up working out for us. I will say, though, man, at some point when the fight goes into round two, I'm like, oh, my gosh. A lot of laying down in round number one. I'm like, well, the clock's just, you know, flying by. But ends up getting a finish there by St. Louis. Thank you, buddy. The one silver lining maybe on this entire bet tip sheet. <laughs> Next one, Jusola wins. It's at the distance at plus 500. 
The thinking there again was like he's a late replacement, probably doesn't have the card to go the full distance. If he gets a win, it's probably into the distance. 0.25 units to win 1.25 ends up being money at the window. Aliquin wins it at the distance at plus 600. That was more of a shot in the dark. 0.20 units fail. And then last prop we entertained was Ally to win by decision, which was plus 1100. So what we end up with there for our props is a result of negative 2.05 units. The upside down special. Interestingly enough, the upside down special, if you track this in our newsletter, it was kind of close to hitting. One of them was really close. So check this out. We had Bubalata to win, main event, that ends up happening. Gisola to win, <laughs> that ends up happening. And then we had the ally fight with St. Louis not going to decision at minus 350. So all those hit. The one that doesn't hit <clears throat> is Aliquin to win. So that gave us plus 6,205 odds for that parlay right there. Again, we had Ally Fight not going distance. That had cash. Chisola winning at plus 325. That had cash. Bubulatsa did win at plus 325. That hit. It just came down to the Aliquin fight between him and Thad. And unfortunately, of course, Thad wins the fight. So we end up in the upside down special, just losing 0.3 units, 30 bucks. Hey, listen, we got real close there to you know maybe saving ourselves in the entire card if we just had one more thing right on our on our picks. So the results there was negative 0.3 units. The final tally, negative 7.31 units or negative $731. PFL week one. Got our asses shaved a little bit. We're going to regroup here, get ready for week number two. We should remember this. This is also a very common trend last year in the PFL. Kind of surprised that we fell for that. It was almost like last year on every single PFL card, not even just the Challenger Series, like the regular season card, you'd see like a four or 500, minus four or 500 favorite just lose. It, it just happened, seemed like almost every single week. If this is now the trend again, we have to consider every single card just like from a mathematical standpoint. Like, what's the likelihood how this works out based upon the past the trends? And the trends have been with the PFL, big favorites losing. So with that in mind, we'll try to use that in our analysis for week number two. That's your recap for week number one PFL Challenger Series. All right, boys and girls, the card's going to open up. The first fight being between Michelle Montague and Shaquita Amador woods now first i want to give a plug for our sunday show if you don't know sunday nights we have a show called midnight mma and shaquita amador woods will be coming through this sunday to talk with us about her upcoming fight so we'll hear from her directly and i have a lot of questions for her because according to tapology she is a woman of mystery we don't know much about her so tune into sunday's uh show and for those listening this week that would be last sunday night show so i'm talking a week here prior to her fight we have her coming through as a live guest on our sunday night show called midnight mma back to this fight so michelle montague versus shaquita amador woods to open the fight card featherweight bout 145 pounds ladies which will be all the fighters in the, on this card tonight so there's eight total fighters competing for what may be one contract last week in the pfl was one contract right so monty goes by the wild one the wild one is undefeated at two and oh out of new zealand 29 years old five foot nine in height with a 71 inch reach we don't have a gym here listed for her and here comes the woman of mystery shaquita amador woods who goes by queen onyx pyre 
no record, meaning zero and zero, from Lakewood, California, an American fighter, five foot eleven, so a little bit taller than Michelle, according to Tapology, and the same reach, and we have no gym. So a lot to unpack here with what we're doing with how we're gonna bet in this fight if we decide to bet on it. I think Michelle Montague, who's like a training partner of Kayla Harrison, has some hype. We're gonna go with her to win the fight. By submission, that's the pick. Just get out the way. Uh, we'll dive a little bit deeper into this, and then again, we're gonna, uh, again, remind you, we just have a lot of holes here on Shaquita. Let me tell you guys a quick story, for those who care, <laughs> before I get more into this breakdown. Again, the pick is Michelle Montague by submission. So I'm trying to get a hold of Shaquita. I'm using my different channels to get a hold of fighters and set up interviews. And as you know, we do a lot of interviews here. Um, that was a look at look at me Louie moment right there. I apologize. We do a lot of interviews. Okay. So anyway, um, she's a fighter who I was trying to get a hold of. And I came across her on some social media platform. We, came, we connected, talked. And then she had reached out and said, I'm good to do it on this day or whatever. And I'm like, oh, cool. You know, she's going to be fighting next week. It'll be good timing. Get her in for a few minutes on one of our live shows on Sunday. So everything's checking out. And then I look her up on Tapology and uh, it says that she has like no fights coming up. And I'm like, oh, whoa, what's going on here? Did she get canceled or, you know, what's happening? And then I look further and I find that she's got two profiles on Tapology. And both of them have like very little experience, but they're both her. And then, you know, I, I kind of cross-checked that with some other social media stuff. So at one point I thought to myself, am I about to interview just some other person named Shaquita Amador Woods and not the one who's fighting? You have that moment of panic when you're trying to line up these interviews. Is this the actual person that I'm talking to? Because so much of it is through social media, right? We don't even, like we don't do FaceTime chat or talk on the phone or a lot of times there's no agents involved. It's direct communication. It's through social media. She could be anybody. So that happened to me. A little bit of panic. <laughs> anyway, back to this breakdown. Montague by submission. That's the pick. Woods has no amateur experience. And this will be her first pro fight. Montague should open as a substantial favorite. She's a good grappler. She won her first two pro fights by a rear naked choke. She also had eight submission wins as an amateur. So clearly submission ability is part of her arsenal. And though she only has two pro fights in her resume, she has 13 amateur bouts. I almost said 14, excuse me. But 13, that's a lot of work. She typically goes for one stance per fight. So she'll go with a left-handed stance for the whole fight or right-handed fight, depending upon the fighter. She is the training partner of Kayla Harrison. That's very nice because you know she's exposed to good teammates, high-level mixed martial arts, and also good coaching. The same coaches that are coaching Kayla Harrison are right there, probably coaching her, you know, or at least she's hearing the coaching, right? She's right there within the vicinity. Montague needs to fight to get to the ground. That's where she does her best work, ground control, and can at least look for submissions. On the feet, speed is her biggest downfall. She's just not very fast. She also has technical disadvantages where her striking technique is, you can tell she's not, her base is not in striking, it's in grappling, right? Because of her stand-up deficiencies, she's a bit one-dimensional. And I mean that in a good way because her, her one dimension on the ground is very good. She's awesome there, but she has a lot, to, she has a lot of work to do to make up for deficiencies on her, on her feet, basically. Her opponents know that they have to defend the takedowns. Everyone who knows who fights her, like, listen, if I get the fight to the ground with her, I'm in trouble. I've got to defend the takedowns. It's not some kind of a hidden thing. They know that. Can Shaquita do that? That'll be part of her challenge. So for Shaquita, we have little to no information about her. Now, after our interview on Sunday, we'll have more information, which 
will at least impact some of our thinking on how we're going to bet in the fight. But for now, all we know is it's her MMA debut. Her tapology profile lacks much information. We don't know much about where she's training, the lack of activity. What was she doing before this? I looked up some film online. I thought I saw some kickboxing stuff, but it was very grainy. I couldn't really confirm it. Um, so we're going to have to go with Montague to win the fight by submission. I think Montague has the submission skills to do that. We're going to estimate the line opens up around minus 375 for Montague with Woods around plus 290. But let me remind you, dare I remind you, last week in the PFL, we saw all kind of weird shit. We saw two fights that clearly went upside down. The dogs won outright. And we saw the first fight in the card, which was a guy who had one day's notice come in on one day's notice, win his fight by submission, get the only finish of the night. He was favored, mind you, and not got a contract. So a lot of quirky stuff happened. I would lock and load for more quirky stuff. Does Shaquita come in, maybe tag Michelle on the feet, win at least a round, maybe knock down Michelle. I just, a lot of stuff in the air. From a betting perspective, if the submission prop is available to play and it's juicy, like it's like plus 300, plus 400, we'll tinker with it maybe. But at minus 350, minus 375 range for Montague, nah, no, won't even parlay it. I matter of fact, if anything, I might just sprinkle a play like Shaquita by like into the distance or by decision. To bet on Michelle straight up at chalky lines in a fight like this where we just don't know about the opponent, we just already saw PFL stuff go upside down, I don't think it's a good idea. She should win. She should win by submission. That's the breakdown. But as you can tell by my hesitancy, we will not have a lot of action and very limited exposure, if any exposure at all, to this fight. That's the breakdown, guys. All righty. Next up on the card is going to be Carolina Sobek versus Sina van der Veerdunk. I'll just call her Sina for the rest of the time. And as for Carolina Sobek, I'll just call her Carolina. Carolina is from Poland. She's 4-0, undefeated. She's 23 years old, very young compared to 22 for Cena. So both fighters are very young fighters. Carolina is five foot nine in height compared to five six for Cena. And Carolina Sobic is out of Spartacus Rezzau as her gym. I think I butchered that name, but I gave it the best shot I could. As for Cena, she trains out of Van Buell Sport. She's 22 from the Netherlands and she's three and one. So both fighters, very young, not much experience. And we're going to go with so big to win by submission that's our prediction so big's a balanced fighter with a very effective ground game when she gets her opponents to the ground she's relentless for a taller fighter she has excellent ground skills she put those ground skills on display with her first round finish over jindrova by a neck crank and of course jindrova what she fought pfl last year she lost but still has some pfl experience and so big submitted her as for cena veerdunk She's only 23 years old, prospect from Netherlands. She's 3-1 overall as a record. She has all three wins by Armbar. Check that out. So clearly Armbar is her, her thing, right? She likes to use close distance strategy. So for her working at range, no. Be close up, obviously work towards a submission, and clearly working towards an Armbar submission. You have to work in close for that, right? She'll lean on her grappling. She'll lean on her opponents. She'll try to strip them to the ground. She'll do whatever she takes to work in close. Imagine watching like a Dagestani male fighter, but the female version, that's her pace, pressure, squashing things in close and not really working at range at all. On the feet at range, her striking is just very limited. And for some reason, it's like a mental thing. For her, it's it's not just her. You know those fighters who they can wrestle when they're tired, but if they have to fight at range when they're tired, they just look terrible and they can't function. She's got a bit of that shit going on, where if 
she has to work at range when she's tired she looks exhausted but if she's going to work in close distance when she's tired she can still do some things in other words she needs to work in close and she needs a submission to win now can she get some ground control land some strikes and win two of the three rounds that way yeah but it's always a very dicey road to walk on and with female fights and decisions you know you just don't want to put your eggs into that basket so she needs a submission i believe or she's going to lose the fight. That's sort of how I see it. For Sobek, it'll be about experience, athleticism, and size. That's why we like her. We think she has those advantages. Veerdunk is a solid prospect. Yes, 23 years old, very young. But this will be a big step up in competition for her. A win for Sobek will improve her record to 5-0 and and put her in the running for a PFL contract. I do think of all the ladies on this card, Sobek has the chance to be, let's say, those final two that are being considered and maybe even gets the contract. She's very talented. We should see a very aggressive version from Sobek. I think she comes out with the mentality that she understands a finish is going to be very helpful for her to go ahead and get uh, the contract versus getting a win. So she knows that. She understands the conditions. She knows the assignment. The estimated money lines are going to be Veerdunk opening as a dog at plus 210 with Sobek opening around minus 250. And it's going to probably swell to minus 300 range. But Sobek is the better fighter. She is more experienced. From a betting perspective, we may dangle some money out there on Sobik straight up. Minus 300, it's a little rich for our liking, but at minus 250, two and a half units or 250 bucks to win 100 bucks, it's not in the realm of possibility if she's in that range. We're going to parlay her as well. And then look at the props that come out. The problem with last week was the props that came out were only available like on some very tough books to get some action on, like bet, you know, Betway and Five Dimes. Nothing was available on DraftKings in terms of prop bet wise or FanDuel. And so for prop bets, I'll discuss them a little bit, but not sure how much we're gonna be able to play them. But if they are available, I would look at Carolina into the distance. And then the fight may be going over a round and a half in that range. Those kind of props is what I'll look at. But anyway, back to the point. We like Sobic to win the fight. By round two submission, that's our prediction. That's the breakdown. Let's move on. Next up, we've got a fight between Jeslyn Michelle and Evelyn Martins. Again, a featherweight bout, as are all the bouts on this card. Michelle is 2-0, undefeated, and so is Martins. Very inexperienced, but both undefeated, and they both bring unique skill sets to the table. We're going to pick Jeslyn Michelle to win the fight by decision. That's our prediction to get out of the way. Now, for the particulars, Michelle is out of Las Vegas right now, 34 years old, 5'10 in height with a 68-inch reach. She's out of Syndicate MMA. Excellent gym. As for Martins, who goes by Spartan, not Sparta, Sparta, Evelyn Spartan Martins, from Brazil, now based out of Miami, Florida, 20 years young. So very young fighter, 14 years, the youth difference there for her compared to Jeslyn Michelle. Michelle goes by the wrecking ball. So Martins is five foot eight in height, a few inches shorter than Michelle, and about a half inch reach disadvantage for Martins with a 67 and a half inch reach compared to 68 inches for Michelle. Now for the gym, Evelyn Martins is listed as a training of American top team. So both fighters are coming out of excellent gyms. That matters a lot for, I believe, lower level fighters. According to Tapology, Michelle is the favorite, getting 79% of the votes compared to 21% coming in for Martins. We do like Michelle. One thing to point out is at 34 years old, it's a bit of a now or never scenario with her. Got a bit of a, a late start to this MMA thing. So Jessen by decision is the pick. 
she has the potential to carve out a spot on the PFL roster. You know, her skill set's pretty good. She likes to use her hands. She Her hands are her, her biggest weapon. She works at a high pace. She'll back you down. Her volume is there for all three rounds, has good cardio. She likes to enter combinations with some kind of a kick, a body kick, or a leg kick. Her head kick is very powerful. It hasn't happened yet, but at some point, she's going to get a knockout from a head kick. She's like wobbled some of her prior opponents with a head kick, so she's got some kicking ability. And though she's only 2-0, she did go 5-0 as an amateur. Now for the downside for Michelle. She's 34 years old, and with only two pro wins, it's like she's going to have to get going right now, like have to make a move. How much more time can she afford before she's going to just be on the other side of 35? And at this weight class, 145 pounds, it's just not, it's not going to be to her benefit. She keeps her head a bit on the center line. She'll trade with her opponents, has a bit of confidence in her own chin to a fault. So her chin's up high, doesn't move very much. Against a very good striker, it could be a problem. On top of that, she also holds her hands a bit low. It's like that recipe of disaster. Hands are low, heads held high, chins up high, and we're not moving very much. Against a very good striker, it could be a problem. I would not consider Evelyn Spartan Martins to be a very good striker. I think she's an average striker. So for Martins, only 20 years old, she fought her first pro fight in 2020 as an 18-year-old. Very young in the game. She has solid grappling skills and was able to secure a nice body lock versus Melissa Croden. So she has some grappling experience. She likes to work on the body locks. And from there, she can look for submissions. But if she doesn't get submissions, she obviously gets some control time. On the feet, Marnes maintains good volume. She's an effective lower leg kick that she can at least give her opponent some trouble, keep them off balance. And again, just like her opponent, Michelle, trains at a very good gym. She's at ATT, right? Her youth can work both for her and against her in this fight. On one hand, Tons of potential, right? Started fighting at 18, very young, 20 years old. Should be making some big improvements between fights. On the other hand, maybe she could benefit from right now being an amateur instead of a pro. She's only 20 years old. So looking back, maybe in a few years, this experiment of her fighting at such a young age as a pro, I hope it works out to her benefit because she could be just fighting amateur bouts right now, getting her record, padding it, getting more experience, fighting lower level fighters, you know, getting some more wins, learning. To be a pro right now, only 20 years old, fighting a 34-year-old grown woman, it's got its pros and its negatives. That's a big, to me, red flag for her because she is only 20 and she's fighting a grown woman who's in a different point in her career, right? So maturity is a factor as well. I do like the fact that she's young, that she's making big improvements. That's the one thing. Now, here's some of my other concerns with Martins. Her head movement. So just like her opponent here, Jeslyn Michelle, she lacks head movement. Her head's a bit still. It's easy to hit. And for Jeslyn Michelle, who likes to throw combinations and uses her hands as her primary weapon, that's going to be a big problem. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She's also got a bit of too much confidence in her chin. I mentioned that before also about Michelle. The thing with Martins, she is so young, never been knocked out. And so she's got a little more confidence than you probably would have if you've been in the fight game for years. They both have a bit of that. And in the case of Martins, she's also younger. So it makes some sense. Martins' hands often drop very low, which can also expose her to just tons of just jabs and straight punches. And again, the head kick, right? The head kick. Michelle's head kick is nasty. Martins is coming off of a year layoff. So that's another thing. That's a positive from the standpoint that it's a year layoff. You're young. Hopefully she's been in the gym working hard, making improvements. So you can look at it from that perspective. Negative side would be like, you've been out for a year at this age, you should be a little bit more active. It's, you know, it's kind of like, again, a give and take. And it goes back to my prior statements. Maybe she should be fighting amateur right now and getting more amateur experience, staying more active than being in pro fights, right? 
So for us, the likely path to victory for Martins is going to be to mix in the grappling. She's going to have to bring the fight to the ground at times. Michelle's not terrible on the ground, but that's not where she wants to operate or work. If Martins can get some control time there, do some damage, that could be a way for her to win a round or two. Control time's key for her, some damage on the ground. Engaging a, in a three-round fight with Michelle, okay, in the case of Martins, is just, it's not a smart path to victory for her. It's not going to work out. It's going to be too risky of an endeavor. Michelle's going to pick her apart. We're going with Jeslin to win for a few reasons. Jeslin appears to have more power behind her punches. She has significantly more experience, and Martins is very young. Win or lose for Martins, this is a big experience opportunity for Jeslin. We mentioned before, the pressure is on. The clock is ticking. It's now or never. She's 34 years old. She needs to get a nice win. She needs this contract. Like, she needs it. So we're leaning toward the fight going the distance. With Jessen winning the fight 29-28 on all three cards, we're thinking that Martins picks up at least one round because of grappling and position control. We estimate the line will open up around minus 225 for Jessen and Martins around plus 190. So from betting perspective, what's my thoughts? Here's my thoughts. I'm going to put Michelle probably into the same parlay that we're going to have Amanda Levi in or Levi. I do have some level of confidence that she should win the fight, but I'm not overly confident. And like minus 250 to minus 300 range, minus 25, I wouldn't even bet her straight up at those prices because it's a female bout. Anything's possible. Martins is very young, right? Could come in here, have made some improvements. But I do think Jeslyn Michelle wins. I'm not going to have probably any exposure to anything prop wise in this fight if i do it'll be like the over two and a half the fight goes distance but those prices will be probably very chalky i'll be just looking at having jeslyn michelle in a parlay that'll be the play for us that's your breakdown guys let's move on all right main card action we've got amanda levy or levi depending upon how you want to pronounce that versus naren hargal sendayush I've done my best that I can there to pronounce that name. I believe the last name again is Sendayush, first name Naren Hargal. I'm going to stick with Sendayush the rest of the time as I'm pronouncing her name to this breakdown, and hopefully I'm pronouncing it somewhere in the vein of how it should sound. All right, so for Amanda Levy coming in 1-0, undefeated out of Pennsylvania, 26 years old, 5 foot 6 in height with a 68-inch reach, and she trains out of Dante River BJJ. As for Sendayush, she's undefeated as well, but only at 2-0, so both fighters have very limited experience. And she's from Mongolia, now based out of San Francisco, 31 years old, so about 5 years older for Sendayush. She's 5'7", no reach number on her, she trains out of Dragon House MMA. Okay, first things first, two very inexperienced fighters, as we saw from last week's PFL fights, two big underdogs, one. I think that same trend continues, and I do want to get it out of the way right now. I think Amanda Levy wins the fight, but she's going to probably be a big favorite. Like at minus 300-ish range is what I think, and that's where we get into that situation of like, well, you're going to make more money betting on dogs in PFL than you are on the favorites. Last week was a good example of that again. So for Amanda Levy, even though we like her to win, we think she opens as a pretty big favorite, and from that standpoint, it's a little scary for us. Now, method of victory, just again to get out of the way for the people that need to fast forward in this breakdown. I think Amanda Levy, Levy or Levi, I think she wins the fight by a submission. And I think that happens probably within the first round to two rounds. Here's our breakdown in thorough. I'll give you the full breakdown right now. Levi is an athlete. She wrestled in high school, played multiple sports. She went 2-0 as an amateur before going to jiu-jitsu as her main focus so she was 2-0 as an amateur whatever but then she started focusing strictly on 
jujitsu, grappling, that became her you know, big thing. Then she went viral. She became a viral sensation for videos of her online submitting dudes, like on the mat, rolling around with guys and submitting them. According to her topology, she's competed in 13 grappling bouts from 2019 to 2022. So over the course of three years, a lot of grappling. She has a jiu-jitsu world title, and she currently holds a black belt in jiu-jitsu. In her only pro MA bout, which was last year in the PFL, she won the fight by a rear naked choke in round one. On paper, very impressive. But what made the fight a little extra special was that she got cracked and knocked down twice in that same round, round one, before securing that win. Her submission ability is world class. We've just documented it. She's always in great shape. Her cardio is there. She can go the full distance. Her stand-up game, though, is the area of concern. Her head's a bit up high. It's on the center line. Limited head movement. It makes some sense. Her background, her foundation is in grappling. It's not really in striking. And even though she won that fight last year in the PFL and she came back in the first round, she did get dropped twice <laughs> in that first round. And I think it was not like she was severely hurt. But she definitely got stunned and got cracked. The fighter who dropped her, Miranda Barber, has never scored a knockout win in a pro MMA fight. So keep that in mind, too. The person who dropped her twice there that first round, not known for her knockout ability. In Amanda's defense, though, she did pop back up both times in that fight last year and, of course, came back and got the win. As for Cinda Yush, who's from Mongolia, she's now based out of California. She earned a victory in LFA last year. LFA is a very good promotion. They have an event going on this past weekend, LFA 151. Her prior fight was against low-level opponents in the Far East. So I'm talking, you can watch the film. We have some access to some of that film. It's a very grainy film, Far East promotion, small little arenas, hard to gauge the level of competition. You're just going to have to assume it's lower level. She depends on her striking power to get the best of her opponents. That's where she does the most of her work. She knocked down one of her last opponents clean off of her feet. And when I say clean, like she hit this woman and her opponent just feet went and it was like a action movie, just fell completely on her back. So has displayed some, I guess, KO ability. She also has pretty good takedown defense, again, from who she's fought against. She's shown some pretty good takedown defense. Those were against opponents that were like 0-1-1, you know, just to give you an idea. Now, as for Amanda Levy, or Levi, she could be a great addition to the PFL roster. She's internet sensation. She went viral. Jiu-Jitsu world titleist, a likable personality. I mean, I'm not comparing her to Kayla Harrison because Kayla Harrison had gold medals, so maybe a little bit more of a hype train behind Kayla. But if the PFL can replicate the Kayla Harrison type of thing, like tough, good old American white girl who's you know got some jiu-jitsu, ultimately, Kayla Harrison was winning most of her fights because of her strength like literally her strength, her power on the ground. She was never like an amazing striker or boxer. I mean, even to the very end when she just lost her last fight, her ground game was where she got most of it done. Former judo fighter, sweeps, trips, takedowns, and then do the work on the ground, right? Levi is a lot like that. Her best work is done on the ground. So when I, when I compare her to Kayla Harrison, I just want to pump the brakes there. I'm just saying... If the PFL could sort of try to find something else like that, it would seem to me like Levi, Amanda, would be a candidate for something of that mold if the PFL wanted to push her that direction. We like Levi to win the fight by a round two submission. We estimate the line will open up around minus 300 in favor of Levi. It just seems like she'll have that hype, uh, the similar hype that, for example, Thad Jean had last week on the PFL. Uh, he won the fight by decision. 
he definitely won uh but was the big time favorite because he was he was sort of the, the guy that they were promoting even got the contract whatever so on and so on um i think she ends up opening around minus 250 to minus 275 but i think minus 300 is where the range that she's going to finish at before the fight actually kicks off at that price she'll be a parlay piece for us it just comes down to how popular of a parlay piece are we putting her in one parlay we're we putting her in two parlays are we going to three parlays? Probably not going to have her in three parlays. I mean, last week we had Whitner in three parlays. Ah, crushing blow there. Probably going to have her in maybe one to two parlays at the most, where we're going to have limited exposure, maybe like a half unit on each parlay. Um, but we do like her to win. I think she wins this fight. She's up against an opponent that, you know, doesn't have much experience, is coming far away. And I think the PFL, quite frankly, would like for someone like Levi or Levy to 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 get this contract, right? Um, I talked about it last week. It does come down to who they want. Um, at the end of the day, this is like a contender series, uh, Dana White type of like reality show. They want certain people, personality, all this stuff comes into play. And for Amanda, still undefeated at 1-0, um, she's very marketable. Um, from a betting perspective, we're going to play Leve, like I said, as a parlay piece. We do not have the confidence in her to, let's say, lay $300, you know, three units on her straight up to win the fight. No, we don't have that kind of confidence, but we will put her into some parlays and hopefully she takes care of her business. As for Sindayush, if she were to win this fight as a big underdog, it would be a little bit surprising. Um, I guess we have to consider it because it's PFL. We've seen a lot of upsets. But it would be very surprising because it's a women's fight, so there's less likelihood of some, you know, random flash knockout. Though it is 145, so it's it's the bigger end of the ladies, but still less likelihood of that happening. And then when you look at Amanda, who's been cracked before, she's going to go to her grappling, and at some point the fight will slow down. She she ends up winning in that area. So it's like if she doesn't win by submission, she just ends up winning by just control time at some point. So Amanda Levi to win the fight in the main event by submission round two that's our breakdown guys good luck with this fight okay just a summary of our picks for pfl week number two challenger series coming up on friday february 3rd with the 9 p.m eastern start time also being held in orlando florida just like it was last week so here's your swift picks starting at the top we like amanda levy to win her fight by submission over sendayush second fight in the car we like jeslyn michelle to win her fight by decision over evelyn martins we like Carolina Sobic to win her fight by submission over Verdonk. And then the first fight in the card, Michelle Montague to win her fight over Shakita Woods, Shaquita, excuse me, Woods by submission. So that's three submissions. Probably doesn't work out that way, but based upon their breakdowns, it seems to lend that we're going to have some finishes. So again, Levy by su submission, Sobic by submission, Montague by submission, and then Jeslyn Michelle to win by decision. Those are your picks for PFL Challenger Series week number two.